Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now back to the show. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. My guest is Lara Hyman. Uh, she's a physical therapist and a yoga teacher. Uh, she has a, uh, a yoga movement called Lit Yoga. Uh, it's essentially what she calls smart yoga. So we're going to talk about what that means and how it's different from traditional forms of yoga, maybe like Ashtanga or Hatha, etc. So uh, welcome, Lara. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. If you would, tell me about your, your past and how you got into yoga in the first place and then how and why you created the special uh, Lit Yoga protocol. So I am a physical therapist and have always been very interested in health and wellness. I taught movement classes since I was in college and and just always loved the education part of it and loved understanding the body and the connection of the body and the brain and how and the body and our mind, our mental state. And so I, you know, chose physical therapy mainly because of that. I had originally thought I wanted to be a neurosurgeon, but then my dad, who's an orthopedic surgeon, I just knew that lifestyle was not going to be what I wanted. So I chose something that had a better lifestyle. And actually, you know, now I'm so grateful for so many reasons, but it also is a a profession that really allows you improve your skills, especially teaching skills, um, working with people skills, all of those things, which are really, really crucial for being any kind of educator. I, I got my specialization. It's called neurodevelopmental um, training, which is a neuromuscular uh, focus of physical therapy. So if somebody has some kind of injury or to the brain, then you can improve that by specific techniques that really elicit more brain activity. If something, if somebody had a stroke and their their one side was hemiplegic, instead of just putting that arm or leg in a sling, you would actually train it through developmental skills like we had when we were a child. And that part of the brain is very hardwired. And then other parts of the brain can form connections to make up for any kind of... So I was doing that and I had started teaching yoga around the same time and was doing more of like the classic vinyasa type of class. And after a, a little bit of time, I just, I started to put on my PT hat more when I was teaching and practicing and thinking about how even though I don't have a brain injury, I, like many others, have suboptimal habits that have formed a brain mapping, uh, like a GPS. And if I 
changed like the way I practiced and did a little more focus on developmental work core st- stability with you know dynamic movement and implemented that in my yoga practice, I was curious like what it would do. And I just experimented with myself and it really changed the way my practice felt. Um, It felt very alive and sustainable and refreshed and very balanced. I found that a lot of yoga practices emphasizing in-range mobility, which uh, for anyone, whether you're really, really restricted or super loose is not not the best uh, approach. And so I just started seeking more from the voice of functional movement and how we can mat as an opportunity to better rewire our movement habits in life. And at that time, this was 15 years ago, it was pretty novel. And also there were people that were resistant to that, you know, thinking it was like not really yoga. Yoga had this formula and you couldn't really uh, mess around with it. But people that actually study yoga, physical practice of yoga, recognize that Yoga itself was um, created and, and cultivated, you know, inspired by many different movement practicing martial arts, military training exercises. So there was no cookie cutter approach. It's just when it got more into the Western world, we like to have things in boxes, I think. It's, you know, it's just like makes it more convenient. And so what I just summoned is my physical therapy mind, which critical thinking. What is the end game here? Is it to feel good in those moments I'm doing the class or is it to really set up my body and my brain and my breath and my spirit for longevity so that I'm constantly kind of, you know, updating the system, so to speak. And so that's when I, I did. There was a big gap in that educational um, aspect. And it's no one's fault. I actually never blame the yoga teeth. The yoga, um, the alliance, yoga alliance, which is one accreditation. So that that's a problem right there. When you have such a monopoly, it, it really didn't have any oversight or trainings. People would go through teacher training, spend thousands of dollars, and not come out with any education about the body and how to actually speak to different people and different experiences in their body with and how to um, change something according to that. Well, one thing I noticed is, uh, you know, I've done yoga at various places. They'll be like, oh, you know, stretch your left hip using this particular, you know, posture for 30 seconds. Okay, now we're going to do the right hip for 30 seconds. And sometimes that would, that wouldn't be right because it would still put me out of balance. Let's say my left hip was much tighter than my right. I needed more time on the left and less on the right, let's say, but they just seem to do the same for everybody. And I also noticed that a lot of yoga instructors will, I, Maybe it's just me, but they seem to give more time to the dominant side and then the other side's quicker and then moved on to the next posture. So like a lot of them are right-handed. So we'll do stuff on the right side, let's say, and that will go for 40 seconds and then the left will be like 20, you know, mentally yeah. just counting. That's so, so funny to so- mention that because in lit, we, we start with our left side and that is in because uh, even if you're not, even if you are left-hand dominant, the world is very much right, left hemisphere dominant, right hand dominant. So it is really nice to actually start. So we actually start everything on the left. So that's funny that you even mentioned that because I forget, I forget until somebody will say, oh, I noticed you start on the left. And so I, I started to purposely encode these little changes that would actually create bigger changes in the brain body connection. So it's interesting. And, and, and to that point too, like holding something for 30 seconds. Okay, what is the reason? What do I think about when I'm doing that? What are some external cues I can think about? Am I just kind of hanging in a joint or am I pushing into the floor and trying to pull that energy up through the floor 
while maintaining length in my spine. So it's like small but significant cues that use are, yeah, are often missing. And the reason they're missing is people actually, many teachers are not, we're not empowered with that. So they can call out a cue, they can call, or they can call out a pose and tell you to switch sides and they can string some poses together. But the nuances of how, what to do in those poses, what to be thinking about, what is significance. We're flexing in the hip. We're not flexing the spine, for instance, maybe trying to stretch out your hamstring. You know, there's a lot of really biomechanical improvements that people can make that um, almost everybody needs because of our more modern um, lifestyle. Yeah. So, you know, I've come out of yoga sometimes worse off. Yeah. My pelvis yeah. was out of balance or whatever it is. So I, I would stop going when that happened. So- yeah. You know, you're not alone. A lot of, a lot of people... Um, in fact, I, the reason I even kind of evolved my and made it a brand, I had a small 10-person uh, group class happening in my house. I, I built a studio there, and it was very, very successful and very, like, no overhead, you know. And But what would happen is people would say, I don't feel like I can go anywhere. I think I'm going to get injured. And I thought, wow, that's a really kind of terrible thought that you're going to go to yoga. And because that the teaching isn't informing you or maybe taking you. Also, the sequencing matters. Like the uh, how much are you preparing the body to then put the stress, good, good stress on it, that it can handle that. So to your point, that you don't walk away and you actually feel less imbalanced and you feel, you know, maybe stressed beyond what the capacity. So here, how, how is your training different? You know, do, does the yoga teacher say, let's say they're working on, again, opening up the left hip. Do they say to people, you know, notice how you feel and if it's really tight, go a few seconds longer or notice how you feel and if it's like no big deal, uh, stretch deeper or don't stretch deeper or well, yes. how do they accommodate people? Yeah, I know you are, you're using all the common lexicon. So often we don't ever say we'll stretch, go deeper um, because that is a kind of competitive feeling. So it's more, and we also, you know, honestly, we don't, we don't spend long amounts of time in a stretch. I've known this since school when I did uh, my thesis on stretching, and that was 28 years ago. And now, of course, more and more research supporting it, that you dynamic mobility and some dynamic stretching. And then for certain people, some longer static stretches are good. But a blending of all of that, not all these long holds, because you have gravity, you, you know, you have forces. We have gravity always coming down on us. And so when we're more aligned, gravity doesn't have as big of an impact. It travels through our body to the floor, and then we come and that comes back up. That's called ground reaction. And then any kind of lever, any kind of change in the angles of joints that put you at a, at a different position where gravity pressed down on you, you need to manage that. So it's so much better to actually stabilize your center as like, say you were, you felt your pelvis was a little wonky. Well, it's most likely not so much your pelvis, but the surrounding thing. Are you moving well in your hips? So we'll say like, here's what you need to do. You put your fingers in your hip creases and help the femurs glide back. That's called a posterior glide. So the pelvis, you can feel when the pelvis is on top of your fingers, that's your pelvis. And most of the time, 95% 95% of the time, we want our pelvis to be stable, not move. So when we're doing something on all fours like cat-cow, we're moving our pelvis and our spine deliberately to help mobilize some of the soft tissues around there and to kind of notice where there might be some more limb. But after that, you stabilizing and mobilize your hips. So when people are not moving well in the hips, they'll move the pelvis instead of that. That also moves the low back. And so that might have been what you were experiencing. You were 
moving the pelvis a little bit too much and then it didn't feel as good. So we will really like I train everyone who teaches this method, um, the very robust, very robust training. And my philosophy is anyone and everyone should learn about the body. It's kind of mind blowing that we had this the one consistent thing we have throughout life that we have a body and we don't know much about it. We weren't taught it. And you don't have to be a people to learn very basic mechanics and then you can layer on to that. So we also are extremely specific. We have a blueprint that gives a lot of structure and within that structure gives a lot of creativity. And that's like a rule of life, you know? You need boundaries to then be able to grow. You have nothing, you don't, you know, There's you're just amorphous. So we have a structure in our blueprint. We start off on the ground because that's where we all started in life. Those are called the, so that's where I infused my background. And we get on the ground, we get a lot of information, a lot of um, feedback. So one thing that happens, we live in our bodies and we're not as connected, knowledgeable, is we develop movement patterns really based on uh I don't want to say like easiest path, but often it is, right? What, if you're tight in your shoulders and you're lifting your arms overhead, you might not stop and say, okay, let me glide the scapula. What you do to execute the move is you'll thrust your ribs to help the shoulder, to help the arm lift up. So you're actually moving your rib cage to lift the arms. And then one might do that over and over for many years. And that creates more imbalances. So you start off with one kind of restriction and then you create more imbalances. And that's very common in today's life because most people are not moving in a variety of ways. So we have so many joints, you know, over 200 bones. So bones come together and form. And these joints, especially the big ones, are made to move in a variety of planes, a lot of different levers with a very, we call coactive trunk, which is an active, and you say, of course, sometimes people have abdominals. It's everything from the bottom of your pelvis to the outer. How do you move your limbs with a really um, strategically dynamically stable and so we teach people how to do it. You start off on the ground for feedback. And we uh, we kind of prep, like, what is neutral spine? What is neutral pelvis? How do we get that? We start with bridge pose. And bridge is just not like thrusting your hips up in the air. It's actually keeping most of your upper back beneath your shoulder blades on the floor and really isolating a hip. It can activate that whole posterior chain. Feel what neutral pelvis is like where you're not tipping it. And you're also not compressing low back. We get a lot of support from the floor because your center of mass is supported. And that's where that's just like the stages or a baby. We start off on our back. We learn how to flip over. We come forward. So we get one leg forward. That's called a half kneel. And then we come up to be by P. And those developmental patterns are hardwired. And that is actually what formed the construct of our brain movement. You know, 80% of our gray matter in our brain can be restructured from movement alone. And that, that just shows you how much forms um, sophistication. So we take advantage of that from the beginning. We get on the ground, we do this stuff, and then we work our way up. Whereas in a regular vinyasa class, you might sit for a moment, have a little intention, and you get like standing and moving. And your body is coming in to the class with its already existing kind of hardware, you know, habits. And so we're using each class as an opportunity to rewire better move. And you do that by going through this um, so you, if you went to any class, whether it's a 15 minute class or a 75 minute class, there would be some kind of, we call the reset where we reestablish our neural spine and with an active through being on the, we start moving in bigger movement patterns. But imagine if you haven't done that kind of preparatory work, it's almost like getting the circuits alive. And then you start moving in big ways on the mat. You're going to tend to move as you, but not necessarily stop. 
Okay. So, um, sounds like the, the training is very specific, very technical. Um, do you have a name for the type of yoga that this teaching works with or can an Ashtanga teacher, let's say, use it to modify what they're doing or could a Hatha or could a Vinyasa or whatever? Yeah. That's um, a good existing question. yoga question. Yeah. Well, to me, the training is very much about, we learn functional anatomy. So, you know, if you have 200 hours in a, t- a first level and so in another, like Ashtanga, I, I don't know if they did much anatomy at all, but let's say it's 10 hours, teen hours. You know, ours is probably 75 hours of functional anatomy, physiology, and biomechanics. And that is interwoven with the how to, so you understand it and then you apply it. So it's really tricky to get people uh, who already are exist teachers and are like, oh, um, can I just, without going, what I do have, oh, we've graduated over 800 people in the last three years, is we have probably of those 800 people, 60% of them are already exist. Some of them being teachers for over 10, 15 years. And so this is exactly what they were understanding of why and then how to um, teach that because that's what people walk away with. Like, oh, Laura, I remembered what you said, you know, when I was picking up my kid and I had all this stuff in one hand or I'm standing for a long period of time or I'm sitting at my desk, that what we have taught really, really spills it in real life. Yeah, no, that's excellent that it helps people. So what's some of the feedback that people in these classes are giving versus what they used to do? Oh, wow. Well, we have a lot of testimonies, but a lot of things people will say is, you know, kind of like what you said, I didn't ever really feel good in yoga. Um, or, or they'll say, uh, you know, that pose never felt great, but they continue to do it because they thought, you know, that's the other thing yoga did is it had this position of like a sage just telling you what to do. And what I said is we're this together. I have more education about movement and biomechanics, but I'm sharing that. And then you're going to give me the feedback of how that feels. So to your point, like I would get in every class, we're giving a lot of different options and they're going to be, and we really encourage like, what is the best thing for your body today? And here are some, here are some ways you perform this. So many people talk about the energy they have, you know, they're not, they, they're, they'll like run a marathon and, and slice off 10 minutes of their time without having changed anything else. Or be able to go hiking and kind of done that before because they got low back pain. Mothers coming back and really feeling the integration of their core muscles again, their posture, um, in that all the kind of things that happen throughout pregnancy and afterwards when you're having stuff with your shoulders. I mean, lots of we get a lot of busy moms who really feel like it's hurting themselves. I feel like your body is your and that's what people say over and feel at home. I feel well, I feel happy. I my stress is lower. You know, I'm I'm a better parent. You know, these all these other things that don't necessarily always to the like preventing injury or improving, you know, function. You know, I work with Olympic athletes and it improves something. But then I work with someone who is just not stressed and that stress can really manifest in a lot of ways. And one of them is pain and pain because stress kind of rides side by side. They're like twin brothers. And people, if they start moving and understand that their body wants to work with them, it just kind of has to. So almost giving people like a new lease on life, especially if they have felt um, just dehumanized by like amount of pain that, and suffering. And that was unnecessary someone to say, your body is super, super okay. So I think a lot of it is really energy, stress, or feeling at home in their body, covering um, and preventing injury. So we have, you know, I had a woman last week, C9, and wrote me, said, I have never felt so good in my life. Yoga had always felt not great for me. And I was really giving up on a lot of different forms and thinking I was just going to have to walk. You know? And we actually very uh, 
it can be a very challenging practice. We implement a lot of dinner hands, inversion, um, plyometrics, because I kind of think of like, what are all the things our body and our two um, make us feel lit up? And, and we have to incorporate all of them. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. What kind of teachers take this training and does it happen only in like one studio? Do they have to fly in and do it, you know, at your place or um, is it online? Well, yes. So I used to do in-person trainings. I did that for about 10 years. And then I would get to fly in, but it just wasn't a great setup because I had a studio here for nine years. And Princeton, it's not like, oh, I'm in Costa Rica, come and stay here for a month. You know what I mean? It's not exotic and exciting to go. Th- and it's also uh, logistically pretty challenging for a lot of people did that, but they would always say, oh, it'd be so great if you made something online. So I created an online one that is 200 hours. And that took me about a year to create. And I launched it in January of 2020. And, you know, we had our first uh, cohort in January 2020, and we had about 145 people in that. And then, of course, COVID hit. And so I was already prepared. So uh, my plan was to do one training a year, but we have now been doing two online a year. And now that everybody's getting back to more of a normalcy of life, um, I think online is always here to stay, but people are going to want some hybrid. We're creating like uh, some hybrid um, options that we have also a self-guided option for somebody like a teacher who just wants all the information but doesn't want to join into a kind of, you know, because it's a pretty intense thing. It's 10 weeks, there's Zoom calls and all that. So we do have a self-guided to take that on there. Um, people have loved that as well. Okay, excellent. And again, um, are you attracting particular types of practitioners or does it seem to be across the board? I mean, I think that, um, you know, we also have an online platform. So our online platform is just for anyone. It's literally like a re- regular fitness wellness platform that I also started in 2019 before I started. Um, and we have thousands of people on there from like 67s. And I think if we were to look at our customer, our, the, the archetype, it would be the working professional who really wants that wants to take the time and effort and money to spend on themselves. We have the busy moms. We have the kind of aging, wanting to age with joy and pro-aging people who really recognize, you know, and I'm kind of in this group, I'm D3, so it's 50 and over, really recognize like it's time if you haven't done it already to really learn about your body because um, some things that maybe we could have gotten away with earlier on are going to be harder to get away with now. And we don't have to do that. We can learn about our body and actually live with a lot of vitality and vibrance. So I would say those are our biggest pockets. We do have men. I would love to get more men on there, but, you know, men. Um, and that's why we also go by lit method. And we call it like this comprehensive system that includes physical therapy exercises, yoga, functional training, stress relief, that kind of thing, because that sometimes can be a little more welcoming for people, especially men, I do think are more just a little bit hesitant perhaps to try something that is yoga if they have an idea that might we use yo some yoga um certainly some yoga poses and some of the underlying philosophy much okay well very good so Lara, uh, how can practitioners or people that are taking a class or want to do it on their own i don't know if it's appropriate for those kind of people but uh, how can they yeah, find out yeah, more where can they go we have um a lot of entry points to, from like a beginner wanting to get back in shape. we um, So you can they just find us on lityoga.com, lytyoga.com, and look at the um, online classes. And then when you go there, it is a lot. There We have over 500 classes, but we really have broken it down in categories. Once you sign up, you'll get kind of an email um, chain that will shepherd you through a little bit, like it's called our launch pad, 
So if you are brand new to this, here are some videos you should watch for understanding the language and understanding some of the biomechanics. And then here are some classes. And then we have a search engine where you really like, I want 15 minutes and I want it from my hips mobility. That class will come up there. So everyone's been trained by me. We have a lot of physical therapists who actually created classes on there. Um, but there are also some senior lecturers who aren't physical therapists who actually think they are because of so. Yeah, just check that out and you can write us with any feedback or, or question. That's excellent. Okay. Well, very good. Uh, can you restate, uh, again, website and best ways to contact you, you know, multiple different ways so that people yeah. listening can sure. find out? So lityoga.com, L-Y-T. So lit is an acronym, which is very medical, but um, it also, it's kind of like an onomatopoeia. When you say it, how you feel it, like being lit up, but it's stand, it actually stands for Laura's Yoga Technique. Um, so lityoga.com. And you'll find a look for my podcast on there, Redefining Yoga. You'll find the online classes. And you can always um, message me on Instagram, lara.hyman. I'm pretty active. It's a really good place to message. My email box gets pretty loaded up. So I would just try and reach out there. Excellent. Well, Lara, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. I really appreciate it. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.